Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Oftentimes when we discuss books of the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, there are, if you're familiar with the New Covenant, you realize there are probably some books that you particularly like to read. The Gospels would probably be up there in Hebrew, they're called the Besorot, the Gospels. And there may be some other books in the New Covenant that you don't as quickly delve into them. One of those might be the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews. It seems like this book has become more prominent, particularly with the, uh, the, re, the regrowth, I don't know how to say it, the rebirth of Messianic Judaism. Uh, our Messianic Jewish movement really is, was birthed in the, in the first century with the first Messianic Jewish believers. And historically, there have always been Jewish believers in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, from the first century till now. But something very unique is happening in our generation as we see the proliferation of, of Messianic Jewish synagogues, congregations, assemblies, and, and not just in, in um, the United States, let's put it that way, but throughout the world. And I'm thankful for that. It is a really a tremendous work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, and that book Sometimes folks do bypass that book. After all, not too, if you're reading chronologically in the Brit Chalashah, the New Covenant, not too far past the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, guess what book's at the end? That's the book of Revelation. And it's almost like for some that's a magnet that just draws them to read that. And it is fascinating reading I know many years ago, the first time that I read the book of Revelation, I was in awe. I mean, the, the pictures that it stimulates. And one can see why a person might go to the book of Revelation with all that the book of Revelation talks about and bypass the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews, which has, to use a, a commonly tossed about word, has quite a bit of theology in it quite a few references to the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. And the book of Messianic Jews begins with this great pronouncement about Yeshua. Yeshua, how in these last days God has spoken to us through His Son. Some have called it Son language, S-O-N, Son language. And there's no higher type of communication than what we see through Yeshua the Messiah. 
that his word's not going to pass away. What we read about him in the Besorot, in the Gospels, continue to instruct us. How many of you can honestly say that when you first read the Gospels, they had some meaning to you, and now when you still read the Gospels, they still have meaning. If you can't raise your hand, the Gospels still have meaning to you. Isn't that amazing? And the deeds and the things that Yeshua did and the things that he said still resonate with us and still have significance. The book of Messianic Jews, though, in its 13 chapters, has a particular chapter that is sometimes referenced quite often, and that's the 11th chapter. And there are various names uh, given to the 11th chapter. It's almost like pulled out of the rest of the other chapters, the other 12 chapters, and it's set apart because of the, the, the individuals that it speaks of and because of some of the strong statements that it makes. If you catalog the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, you see that at least 38 times in the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, at least 38 times a particular word is repeated. And it's the word faith. And of the 38 or so times that the word faith is mentioned in the book of Hebrews, a whopping 24 mentions of the word faith occur just in Hebrews chapter 11. And within Hebrews chapter 11, there is this verse that I would suggest to you, we've discussed this many times on Tuesday night Bible study, I've mentioned it here from the Bema. I would suggest that this particular verse in Hebrews chapter 11 is extremely significant verse. It's Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. And this verse goes so far as to say that without faith, without trusting, it is impossible to please God. Did you catch that, by the way? Without trusting, without faith, and those words are synonymous terms. Complete Jewish Bible uses the word trust, and in my words here today, I'll be interchanging those two words. Without faith, without trusting, it is impossible to please him. And in my notes, I have the word impossible underlined. To say it in other words, without faith, it is not possible to please him. And it continues, and this is such a profound statement, wedged into Hebrews chapter 11. It continues and it says, for he who comes to God, so this presumes that individuals will go to God. Have you ever gone to the Lord in your life before? I hope so. Perhaps that's part of the reason you're here today in this sanctuary listening to these words is because you want to draw nearer to the Lord, more near to the Messiah. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Another way to say that is that he exists Present tense. He's not the God who is dead. He's the God who remains alive. He ever lives. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And this last statement is really kind of critical. So you come to the Lord. You want to believe in him. And you keep trusting in him. And you go to him. And you also pray and hope. And this 
this uh, verse seems to affirm that he is a rewarder of those who, and I think the adjective's important here, those who diligently seek him. Years ago in Bible college, one of our professors made this statement that I have pondered quite a long time. I'm still trying to wrangle with it not now, so I guess it's not fair. I'm going to throw this out to you for maybe you to wrangle with it too. But he made this statement. He said, God has no covenant with the casual. Now, I've wrangled with that idea a long time. It would help to know what the professor actually meant by the word casual. You know, that, the definition of terms would help. But this passage, Hebrews eleven six, says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means that we, we could assess our own lives and our own personal walk with the Lord and see, well, just how diligent are we about the things of God? Or to state it another way, at what place do we put the things of God in our life and those things that please him, at what place do we place them in our life? Are they back issues that we kind of pull out every once in a while, casually look? Or are they important issues for us? Because he is a rewarder, as this passage says, of those who diligently seek him. Now, as we continue to read in Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 11, we finally encounter a name that, if you've been reading through the parashayot, the Torah portions, a name that's right there in about every page of the Torah portions, at least at this point. And that's the name Avraham. We encounter him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And this is what Hebrews 11, verse 8 says. It says, by faith, one of those at least 24 mentions of the word faith in Hebrews 11 by faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, one could stop right there and call it case closed. Because when someone really has their trust in the Lord, they're going to obey the Lord. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And it says this, and he went out. He actually did it. Have you ever thought about something that was a good thing but didn't follow through with it? You thought of a, something that you should do but you didn't follow through with it? Most of us have experienced that in our lives. But this point, the point that's made in Hebrews 11 by the unknown author of the book of Messianic Jews he says that faith, by faith Abraham obeyed, and then it says in the same verse, he went out. And then there's this statement immediately afterwards that just goes against our modern thinking so much. It says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And so many of us in 21st century culture. We want to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed before we'll take one step. We want it all figured out. It's all cerebral. We want to, we want to figure it out. We want to make sure we know. And the writer of Messianic Jews says he went out not knowing where he was going. He actually knew a particular area 
which was Canaan, Canaan, but he didn't have the specifics. <laughs> have you ever gotten in your car and you knew you were going a certain direction, but you didn't know exactly where? I hope that hasn't been happening to you. But he went out, went to Canaan, this pretty large area, but he didn't know the exact places he would go. The I's weren't dotted and the T's weren't crossed for him, which meant that he had to trust God as he went, to trust God. Now, I want to read again this same passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and I want to read it in three segments and make a couple of comments about each of these segments. We just read it. Here it is again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called, it says. We can learn much from this statement, but we can learn this, that faith works in conjunction with obedience. And faith and obedience are essential for fulfilling the call of God in our lives. If you think you're going to fulfill God's call without trusting him and obeying him, you're missing the mark. As you trust him and you obey and you're obedient to him, you will continue to walk towards the calling he has in your life. He'll lead you and guide you. After all, it does say an oft-repeated scripture in the book of Mishle Shlomo, the Proverbs of Solomon, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, know him. He will direct your paths. Faith works in conjunction with obedience and is essential to the fulfilling of God's call in our lives. And we see this outworked in the account of Abraham's life. Segment 2 of Hebrews 11, verse 8, which we've already read, says, Abraham was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. A place he would receive as an inheritance. An active trust in the Lord, as we have an active trust in the Lord, it will bring us to the place of his choosing for our lives. We could call that our inheritance. As we actively trust in the Lord, obey him, he will bring us to the place that we might call, use the term, that's our inheritance. That's what he has for us. And how many of you want the Lord's very best for your life? The very best. Faith and obedience to respond to his call are essential to coming to that very best, which we can call his inheritance for you, what he has lined up for you. And the third segment, final segment of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, and Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And as I mentioned, he left, the, the, the general term was Canaan, but the details of his journey were not given to him. So each day when he woke up as he headed towards Canaan, each day he had to trust the Lord for guidance. You know, there are many different routes he could have taken. If you look on a map, uh, many of you have uh, maps in your, in your Bibles. If you look on a map, you realize there's a, a, a bridge there, of land between where he was in Ur and Haran and what would be modern-day Canaan, which would be the land of Israel today. 
Yes, there's desert, but there are different routes he could have gone. So he had to trust the Lord day by day for the Lord's guidance to bring him to the place. And just think of this. He didn't have GPS. There were no newspapers, <laughs> no radio, nothing like that, no television. He had to literally walk by faith. There was no way to project ahead to see what lied ahead. The only thing he could depend on was hearing the voice of the Lord and perhaps some truthful witnesses that may have come his way, travelers come in the other direction saying, yes, this is where there was water over there because water would be a key issue in a desert place. Or yes, this is the right way to go and we were not accosted by show the deem by thieves or robbers there. This is the safe passage to go there. It seems like, though, Abraham trusted God for each step of the way. Are you trusting the Lord for each day of your life? Are you looking to him as that day begins? Let's take this Shabbat and look into him for his guidance and direction. Are you making yourself available to him each morning when you arise? Are you giving him the hineni prayer? Here I am, Lord. Hishtameshbi, use me. That's an important morning prayer. Here I am, Lord, use me. And then obeying what he says. Because our walk of trust or faith must be connected to the will of God in our life. Abraham was obeying the will of God by going to Canaan. He didn't make that up. He was obeying the will of God by going to Canaan. In our actions... Our direction in life should be in harmony with the Lord's will because God's goal for our lives, your life and mine, God's goal for our lives is always superior to our own goal for our lives. We may think one thing and think we really got it figured out, but if we'll obey God, it is the very best direction our life can go with the ultimate inheritance that he will bring to us. And those of us who are younger in our midst, please make obeying God and trusting him the very centerpiece of your life. Irregardless of whatever anyone else does, regardless, make obeying him and trusting him and listening to the Lord each day the centerpiece of your walk. If you want the real inheritance, that's where you go. That's how you come about it you know the other thing is that he sees us as we really are there's every indicator that God saw Abraham as he really was <laughs> not who Abraham thought he was he sees us as we really are and you know what I find fascinating is that Yes, he sees us as we really are. And you know what he sees? He sees the areas of strength in our life. And he sees the areas of weakness. And by the way, we all have those. <laughs> it's important within a congregational situation to acknowledge the strengths of individuals and allow for them to function in that strength. That area that they know that they have gifting in. It gets a little dicey when someone thinks they have the gifting. Let's take, and I would say the worship team, for example, they think they have the, gifting, the gift of singing, and they get up there to sing, and you're like, 
Now, I'm not saying we can't grow into giftings, but I'm saying that it's very important to make sure people are placed in the right place. Or someone, and I'll never forget this, years ago, not here, but someone told me, they said, well, I'm really good at playing the violin. I said, wow, because I actually do like violin. How many of you like violin music? I love violin. I wish we had one in our our, uh, team here. And they said, oh, I'm really good at playing the violin. I've gotten so much better. I should have known right there when he said, I've gotten so much better. That's a relative term. And I said, oh, bring your violin to my office. I'd really like to hear. I, I expected to hear this incredible violin music. I mean, it was a tearjerker. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to cry my way out of that baby right there. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, Lord, how did I do this? (laughs) Needless to say, he did not end up in the worship team. (laughs) Now, he had other gifts. God knows how we really are. He knows our strength and he knows our weaknesses. He knows our abilities, and I I say this in in the right way, our disabilities, things we can do, things we really can't do. He knows even our challenges we go through, and he knows our struggles. He knows the areas of victory we have. He knows the areas, well, we need a little more victory in. And furthermore, the biblical testimony is quite clear. God knew at this time, he knew Abraham was old. He knew that Sarah, Sarah, was beyond childbearing age. And going further in what Scripture teaches us, he knew that Ruth was a Moabite. He knew that Rahab had been a harlot and was a foreigner. He knew Jeremiah was a Na'ar. He was young. He was youth. He knew David, to put it nicely, David smelled like sheep at times. He knew Moses had speech issues. He stuttered, perhaps. He knew Moses had some anger issues. He knew Jonah was, to say it, uh, a bit flighty at times. He knew that. He knew Amos. He knew Amos did not consider himself to be the prophet or a son of a prophet. Amos considered himself just to be a tender of sycamore fig trees, as the book of Amos makes clear, where he says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. I just tend fig trees. God still sends him. He knew Daniel was a eunuch and would never have children. He knew Esther's actions before the king could result in her own demise. He knew Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, was an Alma, a young virgin. He knew Rav Shaul Paul, the apostle, had been a murderer, and he had also continually had a thorn in his flesh. A thorn in his side, as we might say. He knew that Kepha, Peter, was a bit too rash at times. And at times that Peter was too outspoken. He knew that. He knew Timothy had a weak stomach. And Paul has to write to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. He knew that Timothy was timid. He knew Thomas was inclined at times to be a bit of a doubter. He knew that Martha was a dervish of actions half the time, busy doing everything. He knew Titus was a Greek. 
and not Jewish. He knew that Apollos, who was mighting the Scriptures, still needed to be mentored by Priscilla and Aquila. And he knew that Yohanan, John, had been exiled to Patmos so that the ruler at the time wanted to shut him up. He knew all these things and more. Do you think he knows everything about you? I assure you he does. Everything. Yet none of these individuals I mentioned or many more that I could have mentioned from the scripture, from the Tanakh and the Brit Chalashah, not one of these personal issues thwarted God's plan with that individual. Not one. Even Jonah ended up doing what he was supposed to do. Amos, who said, I'm not a prophet, no, I'm not even the son of a prophet, I just tend fig trees, ended up being a prophet by God's will and his obedience. Why do these personal issues of all the individuals I mentioned, why didn't they thwart the will of God? Well, one main reason why is that each of these men and women that I listed, each of them trusted God despite their own frailties. They trusted God. They knew the Lord was their strength, and one way or the other, they figured that out. They knew the Lord was their strength, as we just sang. And they didn't succeed in trying to use their own weaknesses, their own frailties, as a way out of obeying the call of God on their life. They weren't successful. And friends, please don't use the frailty card to God concerning obedience, because it doesn't go. All these individuals I mentioned and many more had their own issues. And God still required of them to trust him and to obey him. So please, 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 for your own sake and for the good of the body of Messiah, stop throwing down your cards for all your reasons why you can't obey. Zeloholech, it won't work. It won't work. Be assured that God has vision. He has vision and divine purpose for you today. Now, despite the issues you face, and I'm sure we all could come up with a laundry list of issues that we are encountering in our life. These things help us to grow in some ways as we face them with the Lord and look into him who is our strength. We can grow. But despite the issues you face and the things you struggle with and those weaknesses you continually seek to overcome, God has vision and purpose for you. Your goal should be to follow through with that 100%. To make him truly Lord of your life. To do as Abraham did. God says, Canaan didn't dot the I's across the T's of all the point in between. He just presented to him the goal, and Abraham went, lech lecha, he went forth. So if our issues, though, are issues of sinful actions or attitudes, or as the scripture says in the book of uh, Messianic Jews, a sin that so easily besets us, the proverbial ball is in our court in that type of a situation. There's no other way for us but to repent fully, fully. Now, you can try the halfway of repentance, 
but you'll fail. You will continue to have that issue until you fully repent. And mo- most of us, including myself, have gone through things where we've had to come to a place of full repentance before the Lord. And it's only by His mercy that we're even allowed to repent. If He resigned us to whatever the weakest point of our life, that's where we were in life, we would be in a terrible shape. But if anyone is in Messiah Yeshua, that person is a new creation. Behold, all former things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And he is our living hope, Yeshua. And we are being conformed to the image of Messiah. We don't yet know what we're going to be like, but we know that we're going to be like him. And I say hallelujah to that. Because there's no grander person than Yeshua who walked this earth and graced this earth with his words, with his actions, with his love. And that love is extended to you today. Frailty or not, if you feel hopeless or not, in despair or not, that love is extended to you today. Yeshua waits with open arms for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we're told this, let us therefore come boldly the picture I get of that is running to this place. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. If you have an issue, run to that throne of grace. Come boldly, barge through the doors. Let us therefore come boldly. Let's run to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, Ezekiel, I didn't mention in my list of people with frailties. One of his issues was that he was taken early to Babylon before Jerusalem fell. And he was a Kohen, he was a priest. We're told even his father's name, an unusual name, I won't repeat it. But he had another father's name, we're told. He was a Kohen. And he, he ends up in Babylon as a priest And Jerusalem has yet to fall, but it's about to fall under Nebuchadnezzar. In Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 21, it says, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, so at least twelve years into his captivity in Babylon, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to Ezekiel, came to him and said, the city has been captured. And verse 22 tells us that up to that point, believe it or not, that this prophet, here he is a prophet speaking the word of God, that he had been deaf and mute to that point. In verse 22, and only at this particular action In this particular scenario, finally can he speak when he gets this most terrible news. Jerusalem has been captured. It says he had been deaf and mute. Then he speaks, and in verse 23 is what he says. Then the word of the Lord came to me at that point. Imagine that. Has God ever spoken to you at a critical point in your life when it just seemed like maybe the walls were coming in on you and God speaks to you? How good is God? How merciful, how kind, how loving to hear our cries and respond to our cries. 
And Ezekiel had been there at least over 10 years in Babylonian captivity. And again, they didn't have CNN. They didn't have Fox. They didn't have any of the news sources. He's hearing. He's finally hearing. And it was at the exact time is given, as you notice, in the 12th year of our captivity, in the 10th month on the 5th day of the month. The exact time. He knew exactly when this word came to him. And the word was that Jerusalem had been captured. In verse 23 of Yehezkel, Ezekiel chapter 33, Then Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord, came to me. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Ben-Adam, son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Curiously, if you follow this through, the word of the Lord that came to Hezekiah, I mean to Ezekiel, the word of the Lord that came to Ezekiel was what the people in Jerusalem were saying. God revealed to the prophet what the people in Israel, in Jerusalem, were thinking, what they were saying among themselves. Friends, please hear this. Those things you are saying behind closed doors, make sure you're speaking righteously. Make sure you're speaking holy speech. It's not the place when you're away from people to, to let your spiritual guard down because God hears every single word. Amen. Speak well in the hearing of man. Speak well outside of the hearing of man because the one who created the ear hears all things. And when you're behind a closed door, that's not the place where you think you can become your brother's judge. You think you can, you know, chastise people or put them down and all that. This is one of many texts in Scripture that shows us God hears exactly what's happening. And Isaiah said it as I just quoted part of it. He said, Isaiah put it this way, Did not he who created the eyes, can he not see? Or the one who created the ears, can he not hear? Let your speech be holy whether anyone's listening to it or not. Curse words need to go. <laughs> whether you're by yourself or not, they have to go. Continuing on. So they were saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins, God's telling Ezekiel what they're thinking, what they're saying. Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins, verse 23 of Ezekiel 33, in the land of Israel, they're saying Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Verse 25, therefore, Ezekiel, you say to them, <laughs> thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes towards your idols, and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations. And you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Not only did God know what they were saying. Please hear this. God knows what they were doing. Learn a lesson from this. 
be careful what you're saying and what you're doing, even if no one's watching. Some have defined integrity as that character trait that you bear when no one is looking. God knew exactly what they were saying. Do you notice he says, they eat meat with blood, they lift up their eyes towards God, they shed blood, should they possess the land? They rely on their sword, they commit abominations, and they defile one another's lives, should they then possess the land? They had compared themselves to Abraham. And God was saying to them, in other terms, you're not anything like Abraham. Abraham obeyed the Lord. Abraham trusted the Lord. Abraham followed the Lord. Abraham went when God said, go, he went. Abraham did righteously. And these folks did not. So Ezekiel realized through the word of the Lord that those in Jerusalem were under the false assumption, and it was a false assumption, that because of their numbers or because they were linked to Abraham, that they should be blessed like Abraham. Blessed like he had been blessed. They should have that same blessing even though their deeds, their actions, their words did not match the deeds of Abraham. And how many people want the blessings but don't want to do the deeds connected to those blessings? And Abraham was called the friend of God, the friend of God. They were thinking again, let me repeat it. Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, but we're many. The land has been given to us as a possession. I think Ezekiel's response in the Lord was very profound. He lists several ways, as we just mentioned, the way that the people in Jerusalem were disobeying God. And yet they still thought they should have the blessing of Abraham. Many today think like that. They think they're hunky-dory with the Lord. They're not living that way. They think they're, they're just, you know, one with him, but they're not living that way. They think that they will receive all his good promises and be blessed with his inheritance, even though they don't fear God, as they should. They don't tremble at his word as Abraham did. They don't obey his precepts. They still do their own thing and walk their own direction and call it God's will. They refuse to repent when they're challenged by the Spirit of God to repentance. And bottom line is they don't really do His will. They try to pass it off as His will. It's really self-will. They're yielding to their own fleshly desires and putting God's name above it. They're doing their own thing in life and disregarding His call. And his word. They're not investing in his kingdom, but they want to re, re, you know, receive of the kingdom, but they don't invest in his kingdom. And they're not responding to his call as they should, and they have the chutzpah, the sheer chutzpah, to try to pass off self will as God's will. Frankly, that's deception, my friends. 
Now notice this in the New Covenant, in Yohanan chapter 8, verse 39. Yeshua had some discussion with the Judeans in the Jerusalem area. And there's a long discourse. John chapter 8 covers, especially the second part of John chapter 8 covers it. But I want to draw your attention to verse 39. They answered and said to Yeshua, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said to them, and I love this response. I know you do too. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. <laughs> well, we know above all, Abraham trusted God. He was a, a man of faith, as was Sarah, his wife. So we too must have faith in God. We must trust him. Whatever situation you're facing today, trust God, look to God, seek him about it, and ask him for his help. He is an ever-present help in time of need. As Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 declares, Rav Joel writes this powerful statement. He says, I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer who? I who live. Ego. It's no longer I who live. But Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how do I live it? I live by faith in who? The Son of God, Messiah Yeshua who loved me and gave himself for me. This all seems like a simple proposition, but at times it can be quite the challenge. I want to list at least three great eroding influences upon our faith today that we face in our culture. Number one, eroding influence. This is not in any particular order. Just three that I'd like to share with you. There are more eroding influences. I'm sharing these so that we become more aware, maybe more acutely aware of these influences upon us so that we could walk more by faith and not in accordance to the erosion process that these things cause. The first eroding influence I'd like to mention is this one. Viewing life only from a natural perspective. Meaning, we, we don't give proper place to God's perspective. This is happening big time societally. For example, science, yes. Popular opinion, yes. Political jargon, yes. Yet sometimes, in our response to these type of influences, and again, this is the first eroding influence, is the viewing life only from a natural perspective, science, popular opinion, political jargon, and several other things we could list. Sometimes when we cop into those things, we put aside the Bible's perspective. And we opt for the world's conclusions, not God's conclusions. And we buy into this. 
if I'm going to have to choose between what the Scripture says and what I'm hearing in the culture, if what I'm hearing in the culture doesn't line up with the Scripture, as for me and my house, I'm going with the Scripture. I don't know about you. We're confronted with erosionary influences through science, popular opinion, political jargon, other things, all kinds of platforms that people are pushing nowadays. Friends, make sure you don't leave the Word of God and what it says. Let that be your primary opinion maker. A second eroding influence is obeying divergent, ungodly influences of our life. Sometimes we fall under, I'm going to use this term advisedly, we fall under the spell of those who really aren't pushing us towards the Lord. Sometimes they're drawing us to themselves. Sometimes they're drawing us to their, their own party platform, their own opinions, their own ideals. They're recruiting us, recruiting us as their ambassadors. The last time I read scripture, it says that we are actually ambassadors of who? The Messiah. That's who we represent. And when you're out there flitting around the world in your various workplaces, and then as we're out there interacting with people, don't forget you represent the Messiah. As much as you're able, present his viewpoint. You don't know that the person hearing what you're saying may be changed to your viewpoint. I've had several occasions where I shared the good news with individuals, and I thought they would never believe, and the next thing I know, I'm immersing them. You don't know. Let God do that figuring out. Be his ambassador. Proclaim his word in love, not in arrogance, in love. And let his word do what it's going to do. It's not going to return to him void. But some folks have goals for us, they influence us, they recruit us to their party platform. And I don't mean necessarily political. I mean just their, their platform, the thing they're selling, the thing they're pushing. They're not really pushing us to search out the heart of God, to study the word of God, to, to walk in his will. That's not what they're telling us. I think you've probably noticed as I have that repentance is not a popular message in 21st century America. It's not. Sadly, because we're the losers when we don't have repentance in our lives. And it's not advocated to us because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the gift of God is eternal life through Messiah Yeshua. And as we repent and enter into his kingdom process, the sanctification process, that's where our life really changes. Nowadays, people of faith are often mocked. They're mocked on television, and many of us have just turned off most of it. They're mocked on the talk shows. They're mocked on the, they're the butt of jokes for the late night comedians. And yet, there's this wonder as to, well, why, why does America seem to be in decline? Why? Could it be that we've exchanged some of the very good virtues that have been, you know, much in our country and we're exchanging them for other things? That could be a possibility. 
A third and final eroding influence is a biggie. <laughs> it's all capital letters here. <laughs> materialism. Does materialism influence us? Yes, it does. And in some ways, I'm still debating within myself whether it's gotten worse or not. But materialism. And materialism is, is just another diversion from the things of the Spirit where we set our eyes on things rather than Him who's altogether lovely, Messiah Yeshua. And we do spend too much of our time, our time concerned about material things. And it's become so much easier for those of you with phones to zip onto Amazon and order something and do and that's convenient and during the the pandemic time that was helpful but has that now uh, given us a predisposition to do that all the time I dare say even in this sanctuary there have been people who have ordered from Amazon during the service I dare say it that's sad that's sad material things can really grab us deep inside and grab a hold of us. And our society encourages such a mindset, such an activity. It seems like his kingdom should be our first investment, not an afterthought. You know, to put it in these terms, he knows every shekel he provides for us. If he knows our every words, he knows our reaction, he knows our every shekel that he provides for us, and he knows exactly what we do with it and in what priority we do it, what's most important for us. And I don't say these things to criticize anyone because I'm here speaking as someone that needs the grace of God as much or more than anybody here. I say them to warn us, to warn us, to warn us about our priorities in life. What are our priorities Life is extremely short. Just heard yesterday of another Messianic rabbi that died from COVID-19. How short? Younger than me. How short is life? Died after two weeks of sickness and hospitalization and ICU. Died. How short is life? Was he anticipating this? I knew him just a little bit. Did he anticipate that would happen to him? And I'm not trying to scare anyone, but friends, those are real terms that I'm speaking. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Today is, and we need to make sure we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And give him top priority, whether it's our shekels, whether it's our time, whether it's what we put our emotions into, to give him top priority because if God's kingdom and its pros prosperity, its prospering, is not the first priority in our lives, first priority in our lives, then we have replaced it with something else. Something that is inferior to that and something of little or no eternal value. If the kingdom is not what we seek first of all, for sure neither is the king of that kingdom. If we don't seek first the kingdom, we are not really seeking first the king. We've replaced it. It's sad. Life is short. 
and how good the Lord is to extend grace to us. And I want to conclude with this passage. I want to conclude not necessarily with more remarks, but I want to conclude with a passage of Scripture that I think is a great summarization of some of what I've been trying to express today. It's found in the Berit Hadashah in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. I love this first phrase. But God, who is rich in mercy, are you glad that God is rich in mercy? Has he been rich in mercy towards you? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. What an inheritance. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through, and there's our word, faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift, the doria of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I leave you with this final verse. For we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are working in our generation and apprehending many hearts across the face of the earth, including the land of Israel and our Jewish people. I pray, O oh Lord, as we filter out of here today, go to classes this afternoon in Oneg, that we would be able to accurately assess our own lives. Our goal, O oh Lord, is not to be our brother or sister's judge, but to assess our own lives to prove that we truly are in the faith and following you. Lord, I thank you for each individual here, each person hearing these words. I ask for your blessing upon their lives that in this last day, Lord, that we would be vessels of righteousness for your name's sake, that we'd be vessels for your purposes, that we would do your will above all else, and, oh, Lord, that you would help us to bear much fruit so that you might be greatly glorified. Thank you, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H. 
P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.